Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 204. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. Today, we're doing something we haven't done in a while. We're doing a three-man panel. First of all, Matt, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Good to be back. Not bad, not bad. You're hiding at mom and dad's house? Yeah, I'm in the basement <laughs> getting away from two screaming children, so ready to talk about some jiu-jitsu. Uh, there's three parents on the line, all remote, and all of us are have come up with different ways, I think, to uh, hide from their their children to keep this thing quiet. Matt's hiding at our folks' house. I'm hiding in my bedroom. I've locked the door and barricaded it and covered it with blankets to soundproof. But let's talk about our guest and what he's doing. I'm happy to be introducing Mr. Alex Samoa's longtime friend. But Alex, good to meet you. Great to have you on the podcast. Why don't you say hi and just give yourself a quick introduction? Yeah, hi guys. Uh, uh, for the record, I'm hiding in my car to get away from all the children and dogs in my house. So uh, everyone did come up with something different, I guess. So I'm Alex Samoas. I'm one of the co-founders of Technique, and we make performance coaching software that lets you submit videos to the coach of your choice and then uh, get personalized feedback uh, from that coach about things that you can improve on and things that you can be doing differently. Yeah, amazing. And so just in case anyone has heard that name before, probably if you've listened to this podcast a while, you will have uh, heard me prattle on about technique before. It's a great tool that we actually use on our back end for our premium stuff. So when one of our subscribers has a rolling footage they want to send in, I, th I think everyone knows because I mention this all the time, you know, we got a, a crew of people who help us review that technique is the tool that we use to do that. So the idea is people can upload their videos, coach can then grab it and do a, a really detailed analysis. And that ties nicely, actually, into the topic du jour here. I was thinking, if it works for you guys, that we could talk about how to use technology to be a better coach. Something that has really accelerated, I think, in the sport in the last decade or so. I mean, I remember when I started, it was unheard of to use technology to be a better coach. But now, especially after the pandemic, right, it's kind of everywhere. So I'd love to have a quick chat about this. And of course, a big part of this, I'm sure, is going to be talking about technique, but really you know, this is a much larger conversation. It applies to any sport and there's a myriad tools you can use to do this, including the tool that we're using right now to record this podcast. So happy to talk about this and talk about how old school coaches can expand their game a little bit. And maybe a good place to start, Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to this decision? Because I mean, you've really put your skin in the game here. You know, you've got a whole business around this. What inspired you to think that this is something that in the jiu-jitsu scene that we need to be better coaches? Yeah, that's uh, and, uh, th thank you for the for the wonderful explanation. So I think my jiu-jitsu journey has been, I don't know if it's reflective of a lot of people's journeys, but I was introduced to jiu-jitsu very early on. 
in my life, uh, you know, right after UFC and, you know, Hoist Gracie in 1993. I actually wasn't allowed to train jiu-jitsu for a really long time because my parents thought it was uh, violent for whatever reason. But when I did start training jiu-jitsu, I was, uh, I was 20 years old. Uh, I started in New Jersey with Coach Joseph Manuel, who today is, uh, is, is a black belt, I think like fourth degree. He was the first black belt ordered by Hobson Mora in the, uh, in the United States. But I've been training jiu-jitsu for 17 years, and I'm still not a black belt. And that's because, you know, I've been a hobbyist for most of that time. I have moved around a lot. I've always had, uh, you know, I've had periods in my life where I've worked 100 hours a week. I've kind of uh, lived in different places in, in, in the country. And so a lot of what inspired technique was me solving my own problem. I'm sure you, you know, you can kind of understand that it's really hard to stay consistent with coaching. It's really hard to not just find, you know, places to train, but people to train with. And so you kind of have to take whatever is available to you. And over the years, I've just always tried to find new ways to get better coaching, but also stay consistent with my training to where I could get feedback from people that I thought could help me improve. And, you know, all of those experiences kind of led me, you know, and being influenced by, you know, people, especially as the pandemic was starting, seeing some of the things that they were doing, myself, my co-founders got together and we decided to, to build this software because we thought it could be a great addition to the things that were happening within the jiu-jitsu community, as well as, you know, other, other sports that are out there. But it was really just a way for me to solve a problem that I had where I really just couldn't stay consistent with my coaching and, and the training and, and feedback that I was getting from people. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. Matt, what about you? I mean, you and I came up in under different instructors, but basically at the same time in the same city. And so we've seen jujitsu evolve quite a lot together in the last you know decade and a half. I'd love to get your thoughts. What kind of led you down this road to focusing on using tech tools and, and integrating these? And as the actual only gym owner and, and jujitsu pro here of, of the three of us, how do you find that those things integrate into your practice and into your coaching? Yeah. So being a gym owner and head instructor and also a competitor, even though I've had a pretty relaxed year just because of injuries and, and health issues and whatnot, I've really shifted my focus to instructing my students and finding better ways to do that. Over the last, I'd say, four to five years, we've really gone through what I kind of view it as like a jujitsu renaissance meaning there's just an explosion of content out there. There's so much high level instruction now as compared to, I mean, even five years ago and the level of instruction and the, the information that is available out there is really just, it's so vast. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of people aren't really taking advantage of it because there's still a lot of instructors from the old school who are running their gyms and probably, you know, close to retirement. If you ever do retire from jujitsu, right They're they're kind of, kind of the old guard that have now passed on to this newer generation. And then, which I guess I would kind of be right now, you know, I'm like the, <laughs> I'm getting old and kind of passing the guard on to even the newer generation who started when they were like six, you know, I started when I was 20. And so every year, the next generation seems to be getting younger and they have access to this new content. And so I'm just always thinking of better ways that, you know, I can get information to my students and quite honestly, Technique has been such an awesome program. I've used it now for a couple of years. I remember we started using it a few years ago as just kind of a, I think Alex reached out to us. I'm not quite sure how, or maybe we reached out to him. And then I remember you just saying, hey, we got this awesome program. You know, you can you can watch videos and you can critique the, the jujitsu you see, but you can actually use arrows and circles and speed it up and do different things. And it's very, very user friendly. So me being the person who does a lot of these reviews, it's super easy to use. 
And I've got a lot of great feedback from my students as um, just in my role as a gym owner and whatnot and head coach. I use it for a lot of my students' competitions, whether they're the adults or the kids, because when you're competing, you kind of forget what happened in the match, exact scenarios. And then you go to the gym on Monday and your coach, you know, you say, hey, coach, I want some feedback on the tournament. And they might give you like one tip or, hey, I remember when you got your guard passed, you could do this. And that's all great. But I think it's much more valuable to actually have the content, like the video recorded, and then your coach can do a voiceover and analyze it. And then you can study it over and over again. You can recall it at any time. So I think in terms of recalling information and being able to address every minute detail and every mistake that led to, you know, a possible win or a victory, it's so much easier to pinpoint problems that you might have during the match and essentially just way easier to make corrections for the future. And the the feedback response that I've gotten from my students is they love it. Like I said, I I offer it to everyone. If you if you're a fan of the podcast, which you must be if you're listening to this and you submit a review, there's a good chance that I will review the video. And I think it's a fantastic program. And it really is something that I think we're going to see a lot more in the future when we have instructors that are looking for ways to really up the they're trying to update their methods of correction and and learning for their students i think technique is definitely going to be one of the one of the best ways to do that yeah there's a a lot of great benefits to using tools like this and it it is funny because like you said i mean you know you and i we're not that young anymore matt we kind of are the old guard now that we're talking about a lot in a lot of ways and i remember when we started training like you said there was a real shortage of quality jujitsu instructional information out there. And I think that's kind of just something that the internet has solved uh, in many industries. It's a lot easier to find good content now than it used to be. When I started training, I remember struggling really hard to find really any jujitsu instructional of note. It wasn't like today where you can go on to BJJ Fanatics and you have thousands of pieces of content that you can get instantaneously. There were maybe a few instructionals floating around. And normally if you wanted them, you had to get a, you know, buy a DVD or even a VHS tape and have it physically mailed to you. And you didn't have a lot of choice. I mean, there wasn't like a John Danaher that you could choose from. I remember buying instructionals on ankle locks from some Brazilian guy I'd never heard of, like just some big, long, giant name, never heard of this guy. He was some black belt from somewhere in Brazil, but I just didn't have any choices. I mean, I would have preferred to get quality instructional content from the best coaches in the game, but such a thing was not an option. And I remember, of course, Henner Gracie took a, a lot of flack when he introduced his online program. And I remember a ton of pushback on that at the time. Because, of course, you know, yeah, giving out blue belts completely remote, it does sound like, man, this is a terrible idea. But I remember then I actually dropped in and I I rolled with some guys who were basically a, a remote Gracie garage in that program. And they had basically taken that material and remotely used it to self-teach. And I mean, no, that's, that's never going to be as good as having a, a resident black belt just sitting there watching you if you have that. But they were a lot better than I would have expected them to be given that they didn't have a black belt and they were basically just following online material. And that's kind of when I realized, okay, there there is actually a home for this stuff and a use for this. It's not ever going to replace real in-person physical training, but it's a very, very powerful supplement. It solves a lot of problems that in-person training has 
that you can take away when you have the benefit, like you said, of being able to pause, rewind, microanalyze, break things down, link pieces of content together. Once you start doing that stuff, you realize, okay, you know, the purpose of these tools is not to replace old school classes, much like how the purpose of radio and TV is not to replace books. It's a different way of absorbing material and it can solve for, like you said, Matt, a lot of problems that you aren't able to solve in a, in a real physical environment. Alex, I'd love to hear your story on this because, I mean, Matt and I are users of the system, but I know there's a lot more other users of the system too, so I know that you can kind of look at trends at a higher level. What have you seen in terms of how people use these kinds of tools and how this has changed the way that people train? Yeah, that's a great question. So I used to buy, uh, I don't know if some of the older, the old school jiu-jitsu people might know who this is, but I used to buy Joe Marrera DVDs, but, I mean VHSs back then. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but he's like old school Brazilian black belt. I used to have to like hide it from my parents like it was porn because they didn't want me learning jiu-jitsu. And so I would literally like have to order these VHS tapes on them from a magazine to get them. And it was like basic self-defense stuff. And, you know, Matt was talking earlier about not being able to remember kind of your performance. So there's actually a lot of data that shows that the average athlete and, and coach only remembers 30% of an athletic performance. And so like whenever you do anything, and it's not just specific to jiu-jitsu, but really like you're walking away with more than half of your memories associated with that performance just completely falls out of your brain after. And there's a lot of reasons why, you know, there's, there's physiological reasons, there's mental reasons, but you basically don't remember anything, right? You're kind of just walking away and hoping that you're going to remember the best and or hoping for the best of what you're going to be able to correct. But to kind of answer your question, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people are using this kind of technology. It's funny you should say, you know, about the the Henry Gracie thing. Even at the time, I didn't think that that was that big of a deal. You know, I understand that like the the people who were who were giving a lot of criticism about it had really strong opinions about about why, and a lot of it was related to you know the the feedback loop you get from training with live people. And I agree that it'll never replace training with someone in a live setting. But I think there is a world in the very near future where someone would not need to have a gym. I mean, all you really need is some mats, some good DVDs, you know, either BJ Fanatics or whatever's out there. I mean, even on YouTube, there's really high level kind of instruction that you can get and some way to get feedback from someone who really understands the sport better than you do. And whether that's technique or Zoom calls, you know, whatever it is, you know, Margot Sicarelli, who's been a guest on the pod, you know, she has a website where she offers mentoring online. She does a lot of different things. And so there is, I think there is a world where someone can become a very high level jujitsu practitioner in the, in the very near future. If not, it's, it's already happening where you wouldn't need to go through the traditional ranks of going through a gym. You know, you could get 10 friends together and roll in your garage every day and practice these techniques and, you know, get feedback from each other and then get feedback from professionals online. And you would be able to develop your skill set in a way that wasn't available to people 15, 20, even 10 years ago. And so, you know, we're seeing a lot of different people use it a lot of different ways. Some people send rolling footage from home, right? They put their mats down, they get their spouses together, they get their friends together, they roll and they send their rolling footage. The majority of the videos that we get are still competition video, you know, and I think that 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 makes sense because that's where, that's really where you see where you're at. That's really the best barometer to understand kind of where your skill level is relative to everyone else, and especially everyone at kind of your weight class and, and your belt. But, you know, we've seen people go so far as to try a technique that they learned in an instructional and not be able to figure out why they aren't hitting it correctly and then literally film themselves trying that technique and then send it to someone on technique that is, you know, kind of more well-versed at that so that they get feedback on it. And so it's actually interesting how people are getting more and more creative around how they're using it. We've gotten just basic questions. We've gotten all kinds of stuff, uh, but predominantly it is, I would say probably 75% competition footage. And, and that makes a lot of sense given, given the nature of, of what jujitsu is and how, how people are practicing it. 
Yep, yep, definitely. What I like so much about technique is when you're looking at footage, you can, like I said, pinpoint like every positional flaw that you might see. Because, you know, there's so many reasons why a technique could fail. If I do an arm bar, it might fail because I'm not breaking someone's posture enough or I'm not, my wedges aren't sufficient or my partner's able to post out and start stacking me and break my posture. So there's just so many, there's so many ways that a certain technique could fail. And I think when you have just literal video footage and you can go in and, and I, I can use tools like arrows and stuff to say, hey, if you had just taken this guy's head and broken his posture a little bit more, you know, the move would work. Or, okay, now his posture is really good. There's no way that this move is going to work. You got to switch to go to the legs or something like that, right? And so being able to make these minor adjustments and then give this essentially just this like edited video back to the customer as a coach has been so valuable, I think. And it's a really good dialogue to have between a coach and a student. And I think it makes it really easy for both parties, one to give the information and then the other one to receive the information. Because I'll say this, like, let's say there's a competition on Saturday and I'm watching one of my students fight and, you know, he he fights and, and we discuss after what happened. Or maybe on Monday, we're trying to work on something that we saw in the tournament that maybe led down a path of, of them losing the match. And then it's like, you're trying to recall exactly the mistake that you, you saw. It's going to be difficult. You know, there's a lot of things that could happen and a lot of details that could be missed. And that's why I always tell my students, Hey, when you fight, get footage of your fight because you're going to want to analyze that footage. Otherwise I think a very common problem that would reoccur if we don't have a tool like technique is you're kind of destined to repeat the same mistakes that you might make. And you might not even know that you're making certain mistakes. So in terms of quality control and corrections, something like technique is honestly, I think it's one of the best answers you can have. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally on board with you there. I mean, I don't coach as much as I used to, but if anyone out there is a coach, then you surely understand and you felt the pain of the challenge of being a coach and having to give live feedback while a role is going. It's really hard to do because you simply don't have the time to give the feedback that you want to give. I mean, there might be a time when I'm watching two people spar and I'm trying to help them be better. Maybe it's not even a competition match, right? Maybe it's just two of my buddies in the gym and I might have some really good feedback for them, but it might take me two minutes to explain what I want to say. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to stop the role and say, okay, you guys need to stop what you're doing and take two minutes to explain this because I need to explain this micro analysis of, of this position to you so that you'll fix the mistake. You can't really do that too much or you'll never actually get your training done, right? And similarly, when you're the coach, usually there's not just one person in the class that you're looking out for. There's like 30. So, you know, yeah, you want to watch your folks and make sure that they're getting better and help them fix things. But you also have to make sure you're paying attention to the white belts on the other side of the room to make sure they're not dropping each other on their heads, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that tug at the instructor's attention at the same time. And additionally, like you said, Matt, in a real role, Things move so fast that even a seasoned black belt is going to miss things because there's so much happening at once. And a lot of the time, the thing that made things go wrong in a role is some tiny micro detail that's very hard to see at first glance. Like maybe your knee was just like an inch off the ground, right? Little tiny things that are very hard to spot in the moment and very hard to correct in mid-roll. 
But if you take this footage and you record it and you send it out there, out into the ether, right? And your, your coach or even a friend reviews it and breaks it down. Not only are they going to be able to catch things that got missed in the live role, but they can stop and take the time and explain things and give air, give enough oxygen to that conversation so they can fully explain why you made the mistake and what you should have done. Like if you've ever coached competition, you know how hard this is, right? You can't just be barking very, very complicated sophisticated orders to your guy or to your girl because there's a fight going on, right? So you have to keep, you have to have very short commands and it's very, very different when you're recording because you can take the time that you wish you could have taken when you were watching the thing go down live. But Alex, yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I mean, you guys are kind of on the back end of this and you see a lot of footage come in. I'd be curious to know how you feel that tools like this can best be used by coaches to, to fill the gaps that can't otherwise be filled in class. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, th I think you guys are kind of hitting the nail right on the head. I mean, if you're a coach, you know, you go to a competition and I mean, you might have 10, 15, if you're a bigger school, I mean, you could have 20 students competing at any given time, right? Like you're only one person, you know, you have to hope for the best that you can be there during the live competition to coach those people. And then, you know, the other 19, 18, 19 students that are competing, if they're competing at the same time, they're just not going to get your attention. And then, you know, if they all decide to record videos, like what, what are you going to do? Just sit there at the gym on a Monday morning after competition and just go over videos on a cell phone one, over, one by one with them, right? And so like there's not really great ways or there weren't really great ways previously that you as a coach could kind of scale your ability to provide high-level coaching to your competitive students. And, you know, as a student, I mean, I've done this. I had hours of competition footage and me and me rolling with people either at home or at the gym. I would kind of take a record. My brother was also, you know, we got our blue belts right around the same time. And we would, we had mats in our garage and we would roll with each other and record it and like post it on Facebook and people would comment on it. But like, I, you know, people just have videos out there from their competition that they just watch themselves and try to figure out what they did wrong, but they just don't have the skill set required to really analyze their own footage and understand what they did incorrectly. And so a lot of this is really just allowing coaches to be more effective at being good coaches by giving them the ability to do more with what they have available to them, all right? Like you can only do so much in one day and you can only address so many students. I mean, even as a coach, I mean, you're kind of looking out onto the floor of your gym. You know, if you have a, a good sized gym, I mean, there could be 40 people rolling at any given time. You know, the odds that you're going to be able to kind of address the individual concerns of every single student is very unlikely. I actually think that's a big part of why, you know, there's this like, there's this joke about blue belts leaving after, after they get their blue belts. I think a big part of that is that once you get your blue belt, and I experienced this, you know, your development, unless you're kind of taken under the wing of the coach or someone who's a higher level person within your gym, your development kind of falls to your own hands. And so that can be very, very, that can be very difficult as you're trying to figure out kind of what your style is, what you're good at, what your level of athleticism is, how you can kind of use those things in live roles. It becomes really difficult. And a lot of people just kind of give up because they just don't have access to those coaches anymore. The coaches are, you know, they're business owners. I mean, Matt, you know, Matt is, is a business owner. Like he's not just worrying about his students. He's worrying about the school. He's worrying about all the things associated with running his own business. You know, there's all of these different concerns. And so you can't be expected to take every single student and help them with their development and a big part of why we create a technique is to kind of help address a lot of those issues you know i would love to see a world where blue belts leaving is no longer a joke in jiu-jitsu like i would love to see a world where more blue belts 
become purple belts and so on and so forth because they can get over that plateau of what it is to be a blue belt and you know using technology and it doesn't have to be technique i mean there's a lot of technology out there that exists right now that would allow you to do that but using that technology to you know help you become a better coach by scaling your ability to to provide better coaching to your students i think is really necessary if you're if you're a gym owner into in 2022 I just like Alex was saying, if you have, you know, 200, 300 students in the gym, they all want feedback. They all want sort of that tailored experience where they have that connection with their coach and their coach can give them that feedback. It's not always easy to do. And this is such a valuable program because, like I said before, you can kind of recall the information anytime. You just watch the video and you can basically relive the coach's corrections. But for, from a coach's perspective, it's very difficult in the training room to be able to watch each person and give them that feedback that they really need to, that Alex was talking about, you know, to get to the next level. If you try and do that within the, the span of a class, which is a two hour class, you know, save an hour for rolling, maybe. And you also have to have time for technique. Like it's incredibly difficult. It's even more difficult if your instructor isn't an injured bastard like me and he's rolling during this time, right? So I've kind of taken a step back because I haven't been rolling because I had a knee surgery and I'm I'm now taking more of a coaching role and I'm observing more. But if that's not a possibility for your instructor, because maybe your instructor's a competitor, they have their own training to do, or maybe there's 50 other people in the room, you're just not going to get that feedback. But if I have a student that says, hey, coach, I have a video, I want to send it to you. Whenever you get a chance, take a look at it and I might not get to it right away, but then, you know, maybe on the weekend I get to it, I send it back to them. It's very, very forgiving in terms of time restraints. So I can get to the video at my leisure. Likewise, they can watch the video at their leisure. And it just, because of that, it makes it so much easier to get information to people. Like I'm no longer restricted to the time during practice to give that feedback that's necessary, if that makes sense. And like I mentioned earlier, this is, I look at it as a jujitsu renaissance, you know, with, with guys like Danaher and Gordon Ryan and Craig Jones and just all the best guys in the world right now having content coming out. What we're seeing is just the level in jujitsu. It has just exploded, I would say, probably in the last five or six years, because everyone's now getting on the train where they're studying. They watch Gordon Ryan at ADCC and they're like, man, I got to learn what this guy's doing. I got to learn what Dan Hur's teaching. And now they have those techniques and those training methodologies. So they just, they're, they're starting to implement it. And now it's essentially jujitsu's always been an arms race, but now it's like an arms race, but the technology is available to those who can afford it. And those who can study it, you're seeing like crazy levels being reached even at the local level. Whereas before I would say people are kind of left in the dark. They're, they're kind of left to the devices of their what their instructor knows, or maybe like you said, Steve, they have like a couple videotapes from, from a couple random dudes that aren't really known for very much. And that's what they're learning their, their techniques from. Now they're literally learning their techniques from the best in the world and anyone can access it. Yeah. And, and like I said, a program like technique is very, very forgiving for both parties. And it's easy for me to give feedback to my students. And I remember, I remember when Alex kind of first started technique, like he mentioned, it was, it was a program where you could go and you could submit your videos. And then there would be like a panel of coaches that you could choose from and some pretty notable names on there. Like I think Brawlio's on there and Drysdale's on there. Like there's some pretty big names on there and they could give you their feedback. But now we're seeing kind of a new application of the, of the program where I think it could be an amazing learning tool and just, it could help coaches 
give increase the level of jujitsu in their academy where they could give that custom personal feedback to students when previously due to certain restraints, they might not be able to do so. Well, Matt, let me ask you as a coach, how do you find that a, a tool like technique or, or really anything beyond that? I mean, I know that you are very much a, a big believer in studying instructional and studying tape. How do you find that tools like this have, have altered your coaching and have evolved the way that you teach? Do they make any changes to the way that you do things? Absolutely. Like I have, for me, I see a huge benefit with kids because, you know, I teach the kids programs and whatnot and kids mistakes are quite obvious in tournaments. And even I'll have kids that are are really, really great. And they're like 90% there to doing a technique. And then the last little bit, they mess up because they, their wedges were off or whatever. And kids are very visual learners, I find. So it helps to be able to show the kids in real time when they're watching their video. Okay, this is what you should have done. This is what, keep this in mind. Let's always focus on this. And I find just the visual aspect of learning. I mean, let's be honest, kids nowadays are basically addicted to screens, but at least if you can put something valuable in that screen, I find a lot of the adjustments stick. And I've actually seen from tournament to tournament kid has submitted to me a video that they had and I give them the feedback and then we talk about the things that I discussed in the feedback in class and then I see they make adjustments and they literally corrected that mistake in the next tournament so they got to the same position but this time their their opponent wasn't able to defend because I said hey this defense is coming make sure you don't go belly down make sure you invert and roll underneath instead I'm just talking about uh, an armbar situation that we had and I taught my student to do the 360 armbar where they where they roll underneath when they're getting stacked. And the next tournament, the kid fucking did it. And I was like, wow, like that that right there just shows me that technique helped that kid make that adjustment. And now that kid doesn't get crushed in the armbar anymore because because of that video submission. And now he's able to take that with him wherever he goes. Like it's not like I it's not like he's like, hey, what should I have done at the tournament on the weekend in class? And I'm like, oh yeah, you should have just spun underneath or whatever. And he's like, oh, okay. And then the next time he's in the tournament, he forgets it. It's like now he has a a video imprint in his mind of the goal and why why his favorite move failed. And now he can take that directly to the next tournament. So I've seen it in real time, people be able to make those adjustments. And I just want to add one more thing. I, I remember this is something that Alex suggested as well. I believe at the beginning, uh, when I first started using technique years ago, is he said that as a coach, what I could do is I could put up like an arm in the gym that could hold a camera somewhere, like a mounted arm that can hold a camera, and then just offer people with a barcode on the wall or a, sorry, a QR code, and they can put the phone on the wall and then just literally tape themselves rolling and then submit the video to the coach scanning the QR code. So there's like so many opportunities, I think, for instructors to give feedback to their students. Now, before that happens, though, you do have to have an instructor that actually cares. (laughs) That's something you actually need. (laughs) This actually, to me, is one of the biggest reasons why you want tools like this, because it's a leveler. I mean, Matt, I started training at a Gracie Baja, right? As you know, I, I got up to, I think, three stripe blue belt at Gracie Baja. And I basically lived the first two years at that gym. And I didn't really know much about other gyms at the time, right? I didn't know about the importance of cross training. And I didn't know about how, you know, it's bad for instructors to say you can't train anywhere else. I, I was new to jujitsu, right? People don't tell you these things when they when you start. And so I just kind of showed up and I just did what my instructor taught me. 
And it wasn't until I wound up leaving and trying another gym that I realized like, wow, there are, as they say, there are levels to this, right? <laughs> Not all coaches are, are made equal. And the only way to basically call bullshit on your coach and to find out if they're any good or not is to see how other coaches do, right? I mean, if you do a drop-in at someone else's gym and you get more benefit out of a, like a one-hour class with them than you did out of a month at your home gym, you're going to think, okay, clearly my instructor is doing something suboptimally. And the beauty of tools like Technique, and maybe the reason why old school instructors are afraid of tools like this, is because it allows you to get your rolling footage in front of other people that you normally would have trouble getting in front of and getting more feedback and getting more access, right? So you can get a lot more viewpoints on, on your footage. You know, prior to this, if you were in a, a rural area or even back in the day before there was a jujitsu gym every block, you didn't have a lot of choice and you were probably kind of landlocked in terms of where you could get your coaching from. But the beauty of these online tools is you can technically get your coaching from anywhere in the world. And I mean, Alex, a quote that you said once, and I think I've cited on, on the podcast is jujitsu is the only sport where you can meet your heroes, which is kind of true, right? I mean, if you are into tennis very unlikely you're going to go and be able to meet your tennis heroes, right? Because you're talking about people who are very inaccessible. In jiu-jitsu, pretty much anyone that you want to train with right up to the highest levels, you could do it. You know, yeah, it might take a bit of money, but nothing impossible. It could be done. If if anyone listening to this podcast decided they wanted to go and train with Gordon and John, they could do it. It's It's possible. And tools like this make it very easy to access a, a whole world full of coaches. And a lot of coaches are very, very good at being responsive online and at helping people. Like I know Lachlan Giles, like he is extremely active on all sorts of social platforms. He's very easy to get a hold of if you got a question. I see white belts and blue belts ask him like very, very beginner questions all the time. And he takes the time to respond. So that's one of the beautiful things about a platform like this too, is it, it lets you see what good looks like by checking out other instructors. And that's probably one of the best ways that you can actually assess if your own instructor is any good or not. Yeah. 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 One thing you also notice, I think if you, if you do the technique submission videos is you might realize like, Hey, this guy's like an awesome competitor, but like maybe he doesn't give me the best feedback, you know, cause not every great competitor is a great coach. So you can really see like the difference between someone who who is really good at competing versus how they instruct. And I think I think that's also a, a really valuable distinction because, you know, you might you might train under a legend, but that doesn't mean that they're, you know, they're going to give you the best conceptual approach or they're going to have the systems needed in today's world. Right. A lot of these guys are from I'm not saying anyone on the technique platform, but just coaches in general come from the old world like we discussed earlier and I remember when I first started, it was like black belts winning at the highest level were like mid thirties, you know, they had been in the game and didn't necessarily always start from a younger age. Nowadays, you look at the highest levels. It's like the guys winning the black belt championships are like in their early twenties. And it's crazy to see that kind of a, that kind of a development in such a short amount of time. You know, I've, I've been training like 14 years maybe. And from the time I started to the time I finished the level in the I would say that someone who's 20 years old has changed to black belt world champion level, whereas before it was like almost everyone started when they were 20. Right. And that's where we're really seeing like the passing of the guard to the next generation. Like I got guys in my gym that are 17 and 18 and can catch me. They've been training for like 10 years at this point. 
So it's, it's insane. And it shows that jujitsu is an arms race. And as coaches to stay relevant, we really have to look at different ways. Again, assuming you're a coach that cares about the development of your student, you're not just a business person, right? Cause there are, that exists as well. But if you do care and you're looking for ways to have really competitive guys in your club and you're looking for the best possible development for your students, something like this can really take things to the next level as well as studying instructionals, which I think is a whole different topic, a different discussion to have. But at this point, if your instructor is not teaching you, you know, the, these new positions that you're seeing at ADCCs and, you know, the world championship level, you are going to be left behind. And so you sometimes outsourcing different instructors through a, a program like technique could be something that could help you. Yeah. Alex, what are your thoughts? Yeah. You know what? It's it's actually been funny to me just kind of as I've been on this journey, how I get these like very two distinctly different responses from people when they find out about technique. I either get like, wow, this is amazing. Like this is totally something that's going to help jujitsu and help the community or like you should never be doing this. It's like you're, you know, you're, <laughs> you're a heretic and like, please stop doing this immediately. And the thing that I find interesting about jujitsu is that, you know, as a community, I think we're still very kind of precious about jujitsu. Like we're, we keep it as this thing that's like, you know, it's ours and we want to show it to the world, but we want to kind of control how it gets circulated. But the stuff that like we're seeing now, instructional is kind of being this like very unique thing that's, you know, I don't know of any other sports that have this entire like library of instructionals where high level practitioners and high level coaches are filming themselves and, and doing this, you know, this like kind of coursework around it. I don't know of a lot of other sports, but like the concept of using technology to further a sport is basically ubiquitous in every other sport, especially at the highest levels, right? Like everyone does film study. Everyone uses technology to enhance their performance. Everyone uses technology to make their teams better. And so it's been really interesting to me to see how it's kind of getting received by the jiu-jitsu community as we're, you know, getting more, more followers and how, as we're getting more videos, because there still is this like line in the sand that people draw. Like people have told me like, I can't submit a video because my instructor wouldn't like that. Or I can't submit a video because, you know, uh, I'm working on this really specific thing and my instructor doesn't want me to get feedback from anybody else. And like I immediately become very skeptical. I know you guys are talking about kind of coaches. I immediately become very skeptical, skeptical of any coach who doesn't allow his students to cross train or get feedback from other people. Uh, that to me is like a big red flag that maybe this person isn't or doesn't have my best interest at heart or, you know, may not even be the highest level coach. And so they don't want to get exposed. But it's just like, you know, this stuff exists. It has existed for years in all other sport communities. And so like, you know, Matt keeps saying that jujitsu is an arms race. Like the technology and the arms exist everywhere else. We've just not adopted it in jujitsu. And I think as soon as we do that, you know, it will create more jujitsu and more jujitsu is good for everybody. We need more people doing it. The more people that are doing it, the better it's going to enhance the sport. The more people we're going to see, you know, creating new things and, and that's really kind of like, you know, this is our ability to kind of expose jujitsu to the rest of the world and get more and more people practicing it and people who ne didn't necessarily have access to it previously, right? Like, I still imagine that there's still a lot of people like, you know, in, like in the 90s, when you wanted to learn jujitsu, you would have to like buy a VHS or like, you know, find the nearest purple belt who could be like four hours away from you because the purple belt was a unicorn back then. But there's still people who that's still the case, right? There's still people that don't really have access to, to high level coaching. And exposing them to these different pieces of technology that are going to allow them to practice jujitsu, it's only good for everybody. And so, like, I would love to see the kind of jujitsu community really rally behind all of these different kinds of technology, including instructionals and all of these different things. YouTube, inst I mean, even Instagram videos. 
You know, you joke around, around about like that's an Instagram technique, but that shit works. I hit Instagram techniques all the time in the gym. It happens. <laughs> I watch it and I hit it. Like it, it happens, right? And so like it's good for everybody. Why not just be open to all of these different things? So many people mention about how, oh, you learned that from YouTube or Instagram. It's like information is information. Just like anything else, you're going to get good and bad information from sources. So to, to sort of disparage something that you saw on YouTube or Instagram is funny to me because I, I like to take in all information and then I just like to use what, what I feel works as long as it's conceptually sound and it works through the alignment filter and you know, there's no obvious ways to just like totally shit on the technique. It's good to go. I've learned so much from scrolling through Instagram and YouTube. Like that's, I don't know. I think anyone who says, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to learn from, from that source just because it's source A that I get all my information from source B. It's like, yeah, well, you're probably discarding information that's quite useful. I remember even just from my own development through my journey for the first 10 years of my life, being like, when I teach techniques, I'd be like, oh yeah, well, when I do this technique, I don't, I don't ever do this, right? Or I, I used to teach like, I don't ever do it like this. And then I would open up my mind a little bit more and I would see scenarios where it does make sense to do the technique in certain ways, contrary to what I was teaching. So now I have an approach where I look at it and I see that there's many different ways to do a particular technique. And it's easy for someone to say, oh, don't do it like this ever, or do it like this. And it's like, yeah, but there's infinite amounts of reactions that could merit a different way to do the technique. So now I leave my mind kind of like an open, a blank slate. And when I see a technique, I always think that there's a place for everything, right? Like there's always, there might be a time when doing a technique differently is more appropriate than the way that you've always learned. And I can honestly say that in the last four years, I've learned more than, you know, in the first 10 years of my journey, 100%. And that's through the study of a lot of these different instructionals for sure. And because we're realizing now that like, hey, there's so much high level content out in these last five years that if you're not studying it, like you're going to be left to your the basically what your instructor taught you, you know, the little tricks and moves that they they've used their whole journey. That's going to become the staple of your game. And while that's great, you know, if you go against a guy who's who's a master of Ashigarami or, or you know, he, he's put extensive study into alternative leg entanglements like the false reap or things like that and it's a technique you've never seen before you're going to get crushed so it's important you know to stay up to date always and that's something that I'm always advocating doesn't matter if you're a competitor or an instructor you got to stay up to date yeah yeah and something that you guys touched on too is a lot of instructors might be uncomfortable with their students going off and using tools like this. And I mean, to that, I would say if your instructor is uncomfortable with you getting information from other sources, that is pretty much a universal red flag right there, right? That is sounds like a you problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is like one of the strongest indicators that you actually should be using systems like this, because it's an indicator that your instructor probably isn't opening their mind to try to learn, right? They're trying to be secretive and exclusive and, when instructors take that approach, that usually means they're not developing their own skills and that is going to trickle down onto their students, right? So if you have one of those instructors who says, oh, well, I don't want any of my students learning stuff from somewhere else, that is the probably the first and most solid indicator that you as the student should, in fact, go and learn from somewhere else. And that's actually where tools like this shine, right? Because 
look, if your instructor is one of these lunatics and you decide you want to go and train with the instructor down the street, there's a good chance that your home instructor is going to find out about that and, you know, it can cause blowback. However, you can quite easily submit a technique video to someone on the other side of the world and your instructor will never be the wiser that this happened, right? So that's a really powerful way to litmus test if your instructor's any good or not and they'd never need to know that you did that. So there's that aspect as well where you as the student can have a lot more control over your own journey and over your own choice of how you learn and which instructors you use, right? It's a better tool for accountability as well because you can more easily assess whether your instructor's any good. Yeah, and you can easily assess your own mistakes just by watching video footage. It's so easy to give vague responses when people are like, like, Matt, like, how can I how can I get better at this? It's like, all right, well, you know, you, you got to have good wedges around their head. You got to, you know, break their posture, blah, blah, blah. I can give as many answers verbally to them in that moment as I can. Do you think that that's really going to make a difference when they come to roll? I mean, I think the chances of them, first of all, the information sticking is very low and the chances of them being able to apply feedback to a given situation without seeing it visually is very difficult. Then you take something like technique and someone submits a video to me they're like, okay, this is from my rolling footage or this is from a competition that I had. Like I can literally be like, okay, you know, I have a video. Someone asks me, how can I be a better competitor? And I watch it and I'm like, well, you just, you're an IBJJF competition and you just went from a bottom position to a top position and you didn't get any points for it. So now you're on top and you need to pass the guard to get points and you don't have enough time to pass their guard. And so they win. It's like, okay, as a general rule, anytime you go from a bottom position to the top position, let's make sure we get paid our points. Right. And things, things like that, where it's not easy to give feedback like that to somebody just verbally or even face to face. But when I take that video and I can say, hey, this right here is the crucial moment that you lost this match. You didn't know it, but this right here is where you lost. Once you pass this point, it was is almost impossible for you to recover. So let's never make this mistake again. And they're like, oh, okay. Like that sticks in someone's mind way more than me just saying, oh yeah, like make sure you sweep the person from a guard. It's like, okay. And then they go and fuck up the next time they do it. But then it's like, hey, I remember that time when, you know, Matt showed me that I got flipped into the turtle position and then I double legged the guy from my knees and I didn't get points for that because it wasn't from a guard. I know from that position I should just concede to a guard, then try and work my sweeps. You know what I mean? So it's like not only do techniques get better through this program where you can actually fix your application of techniques, But things like tactics and strategy can be fixed in real time through watching the videos. And that can't really be done verbally with your coach, if that makes sense. Makes total sense. Alex, any thoughts on that? I agree wholeheartedly with everything he just said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's easy. No, no, No additional thoughts. Well, one other thing I would add to something that I did not really expect when I started using tools like this, but they became pretty clear pretty quickly is tools like this don't just serve the student. And they don't just serve the teacher, but if used properly, they can create content that serves other people as well. I mean, Matt, I know that you've been doing a bunch of breakdowns recently of the ADCC 2022 matches using technique and putting them on social, right? So these are examples of, hey, we did a narrative analysis. We did a deep breakdown of a role, but we didn't just send that to one person. You can send that to a bunch of people. 
And that's super useful. That's something that our community has said they they really like seeing is to look at not just their own videos getting broken down, but other people's too. And it doesn't have to be a famous person, right? It doesn't have to be an elite level competitive championship match. Sometimes, in fact, if you are a less experienced grappler, you might get more out of watching other less experienced grapplers because their mistakes are more relatable to you, right? Whereas when you look at a high-level person, I mean, they're like gods, right? Everything they do is almost perfect most of the time. So it can be hard to kind of tease out exactly where they went wrong and apply that to your own game. Now, of course, there's, you know, there's a privacy thing, but for a lot of people, their, their competition footage is already public anyway. And so if they come to us and they say, Hey, I want to do a technique breakdown. Can, can you break down this clip? And FYI, I don't mind if other people see this. Well, that's great news to me because now that's content I can share, right? And now I'm not taking my time to just do a breakdown for one person. I'm doing that breakdown for conceivably anyone who wants to watch it and duplicate those learnings themselves. So not only does it create a, a solution for the person that you're doing the review for, but unlike a in-person instruction, you are actually creating a digital artifact, like a mini lesson that can be given off to other people and they can then prevent that mistake from happening as well. So it's an incredible tool for sharing and for knowledge propagation as well, beyond what you would normally get through in-person teaching. Which is again, something that's like prevalent in most other sports. You know, in most other sports, you analyze footage from other competitors to understand what they did right and what they did wrong. And like, we see common things at different levels. Like there's, there's just certain levels where you wind up doing the same thing that other people at your level are doing because it's just part of the progression of the sport. You know, I see this all the time with like, you know, white belts and blue belts on my gym. They'll go through this, like all of this, like to try to bench press someone off of them and then they don't move. And so they just let the person like fall right back to where they were and they just put all this effort in. And I see that all the time. And I tell people that like, hey, if you're going to put all this effort into like, you know, hipping out or like, or trying to get someone off of you, at least like shrimp out, move your hips, you know, bring your knee up so that there's a shield there. Don't just let them fall right back where they were. And this is like, it's a normal thing in all other sports that once you recognize that you watch it and you do film study and everyone learns from other people's mistakes, that's just so normal. And so it's, you know, in, in jujitsu, it's something we can definitely learn from. We can learn from all these other sports. We can learn from all these other, all these other athletic pursuits. And we can understand that like there's value in content from other people. It's all a learning experience for everyone who's watching. it. Yeah. I, Steve mentioned the technique breakdowns of the ADCCs, which I've been recently doing. There's a couple that Alex has been pushing on social media. I think it's so cool that you can take footage like that and kind of, you know, make it content like Steve talked about, just discussing things that went wrong and things that went right. One notable review that I did recently actually wasn't from this year's ADCC, but it was from previous ADCC with, I think it was 2009. So quite a while ago. And it was it was the clip of Vinny Magalesh getting armbarred by Fabricio Verdum. And this, you know, this is a video on YouTube. They literally just take that sequence and Vinny's stuck in an armbar for like two minutes and it, it looks fully cranked. And uh, I think it's on YouTube. It's called something like Vinny's unbreakable arm or whatever. Right. And so I decided to do a breakdown of that that sequence and pass it to my students because we were actually in the middle of a Jujigatame module. We were focusing on arm bars all month. And so I thought, hey, this would be a great time to, I'll download this video and I'll submit it to Technique and then I'll do my own analysis of it. And so I was able to go through and tell my students exactly why 
that this technique failed. And then when I finished the video, I, I just put it on YouTube to, for everyone to see. And uh, I sent my students the link through the group chat and they were all able to look at that and say, hey, why didn't that armbar fail? Oh yeah, that's why. Like the Vinny was turning and so he was able to raise his shoulder from the floor, which means that it would have required a, a higher fulcrum from Verdum, which he didn't have. And plus Verdum, a big mistake that he made was he was trying to he was trying to break the arm by pushing the arm over the wrong hip. So it made total sense why he didn't get the breaking power needed to finish Vinny. I mean, again, Vinny's probably one of the hardest guys to submit by joint lock. He's definitely willing to take damage before he submits. And even when he does take damage, as we saw when he fought Craig Jones, he still almost didn't tap. And then Craig basically convinced him, hey, this foot is broken and Vinny finally tapped out. I'm not saying he would have tapped to that armbar if his arm was broken, but any other mortal would have tapped to that armbar. And you could see clear mistakes, even though Verdum is a legend in MMA and grappling. Hey, there were certain mistakes mechanically that he was, you know, that were kind of off and giving Vinny the wiggle room to survive. And like just just being able to take pro footage like that and be able to break it down and then pass that on to my students, I think is immeasurably important. And like Steve said, when you put that content out, it only increases, it only contributes to the quote, jujitsu renaissance that we're seeing right now where everyone is reaching new levels, at least those who want to study. Yeah, yeah. I would also say too, from a coaching perspective, one of the other benefits of these tools that I didn't expect is it makes it a lot easier as a coach to ask for help. Um, you know, when you're the ranking black belt in the room and you've got 30 young, impressionable people who are all clamoring for answers, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast, Matt, about how like if, look, when you're a coach, you've got to learn to get comfortable with saying, I don't know, I'll get back to you. It's way too easy for coaches to feel like they're obligated to know everything and to just make shit up on the spot. And that never helps anyone. Right. But the beauty of a platform like technique is I don't have to answer your question on the spot. I can take your footage and I can route it to someone else. As an example, one of our premium subscribers, longtime supporter of the podcast, actually is a very high level black belt, actually just won their first world championship at Masters Black. And I remember them submitting footage to me to review. And I took a look at this and I'm thinking like, okay, the first thing I can see right out of the gate is I am not qualified to do this shit, right? Like me, Canadian hobbyist, roll into the gym a few times a week, right? I mean, the only thing I'm really good at in the jujitsu scheme is making jujitsu podcasts, right? I mean, this is a, an elite level world-class athlete who simply knows more about this than me. And I'm just not comfortable acting like I can give them useful feedback. So what do I do? Just take the fucking link and give it to someone else, right? I mean, we've got a lot of people on the review team who are way more accomplished than me, um, including multi-time black belt world champions, right? So as a coach, it makes it a lot easier to deal with that I don't know situation that's always going to come up because that's always so unsatisfying to your students when the coach says, I don't know, even though it is the right thing to do. But if you can then just take their footage and say, hey, I don't know, but I'm going to pass this link off to someone who does and you'll get a review out of it. Like, man, that is such an amazing problem solved, right? It is such a great value add uh, and something that you can only do in the modern day that even 10 years ago wouldn't have really been a realistic option. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all true, man. And uh, yeah, I mean, one thing I think if you're at a if you're at a gym where your instructor always, you know, has to have every answer and can never get submitted and can never lose. That is a really clear indication of bad things. We've discussed that previously on cult episodes. And when I'm in the training room, man, like some of my students, 
I'm just trying to hold on. Honestly, I got some up and coming 18 year olds. There's about three of them right now that are really destined, I think, to do great things in jujitsu and MMA. And two of them are way bigger than me. So for me to have an attitude like, hey, I'll be able to always beat these kids is just it's not a sustainable thing for me. You know, there's no way that I can go toe to toe with someone who's 200 pounds and 18 years old. You know, when I'm 34 and I weigh 165 pounds, it's like it's just not a sustainable thing for me. But what I can do is I can offer them feedback and I can give them my insight on things so that they can have better systems and work their favorite techniques better. Again, that could be done through technique, but just on a separate topic, like for me to say, hey, I know everything and, you know, I can't be questioned and I can't be beaten or else, you know, that is not only is it a red flag for you as a student, if you're an instructor and you're doing that, I mean, that's that's like hazardous to your to your health, because eventually these guys are going to beat you with strength if they can't beat you. And it's just it's better to just have an attitude like, you know what? I'm the head instructor. I'm mortal. Like I'm a lot of the time when I roll with some of these kids, I'm just hanging on. So let me help. Let me help you with my knowledge and let's have some more technical roles because I'm not here to prove anything to you. If we go strength for strength, I can't really win this battle necessarily. Right. Because I want to be able to roll until I'm, you know, 60 or 70. How am I going to be able to roll with some of these young kids if my whole goal is to win every role? It's just not going to happen. Right. Instead, I think my goal as an instructor it needs to shift more towards the, their development so that they can, you know, get to a different level. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing I want to ask you guys about, and Alex, I'll start with you here, but when you're dealing with students, there's kind of two broad stroke categories of students. I find that that come in and that I, I talk to about things like technique and, and coaching. One of them are people who compete a lot. And for them, usually using a system like technique is, is pretty easy, right? It's something they're comfortable with because First of all, their, their matches are already probably recorded anyway, so they probably already got something that they can submit, and that's always going to be easier if they already have a video and they don't have to go out of their way to record anything. But they're also a lot more used to public scrutiny, right? If, if you are competing, by definition, you are putting your jujitsu in front of people to see and to evaluate, right? So the fact that this gets recorded and then they send it to a coach to break down is not really a big ask it's a little bit different, though, when you're dealing with hobbyists, right? People who maybe never competed, people who aren't in here to, to kill each other, right? I mean, a lot of the time when you're dealing with hobbyists, you're not talking about people who are doing this because they want to be the, the best in the world. Maybe they just want to burn some calories on Saturday and learn how to defend themselves. So a big piece of pushback I often get from people is they'll say, I'd love to use technique, but man, it can, you know, I'm just really embarrassed. I'm, I'm really embarrassed about recording myself and putting that out there. And that makes me sad because I know that for those people, the biggest thing they could do to, to dramatically change their game and improve almost overnight would be to bust out that cell phone camera and record five minutes of themselves just in the gym with their buddy rolling. And then we can put that footage in front of a bunch of people who can give them great feedback, but they're not comfortable with doing that because it's outside of their comfort zone. And I'd be curious to know, Alex, if if you've got an approach or a recommendation for for hobbyists like that, who just they're not used to that kind of scrutiny and they're a little bit shy of putting that stuff out there. You know, I, that's actually a wonderful question that I don't have a great answer for. To kind of go back to the sometimes it's OK to just say that you, you don't know the answer to something. I've gotten the same exact feedback from people. You know, and it's interesting, you know, you train at a gym and I've had this experience multiple times now because I've, you know, I've traveled so much and I've kind of lived in all these different places in the U.S. So I, I'm constantly changing what my home, home gym is. Uh, 
you know, they, they used to be truer than it is now. But I've always found that like, even when you're in a gym, you know, if the gym has 200 people in it, let's say, you really only wind up rolling with like the same 15, 20 people. Because it's generally the people that you feel the most comfortable with. And it's generally the people that like have a similar schedule that, that you do, especially if you're a hobbyist, right? And so like, I haven't found a great way to kind of leverage or like activate that part of the community, you know, because I think that there's a world where like, someone might feel more comfortable recording themselves and even like sharing it with just, you know, their buddy who's a purple belt or their buddy who's a brown belt, they roll with regularly to get, you know, better feedback or just, you know, help them improve at, at the thing that they're struggling with. But I haven't found a great answer for that. And I, I would actually love to hear from the jiu-jitsu community, you know, and I, I would, you know, I, I would love to, you know, send me a message on Instagram or, or whatever. Like, I'd love to have that conversation with more people because I think it's, it's an important part of of how you you develop in jiu-jitsu you know like not everyone is going to have access to that like not everyone's instructor is going to be watching their every role not everyone is going to have an instructor who can give you feedback on every single thing that you're struggling with you know you tend to like really learn the most from the people that you roll with on a regular basis that are part of your gym that become kind of part of your little community of people that, that you're developing with and so how we leverage that and how that becomes like a bigger part of of what we're trying to accomplish you know, I don't have a great answer for it. And, and I would love to, to hear from people on, on how we can solve that problem. Matt, what do you think? I mean, I, I, this is, I know part of what you have to do as a coach is help people overcome things like shyness and, and, you know, embarrassment, because that's such a big part of growing and improving. Have you found a strategy for kind of convincing people to come out of their shell and, and ask for feedback and, you know, record themselves? I'm just curious to know if there's any good approaches that we can use to motivate people to do that. I think one of the best things you can do is to be as transparent as possible with students kind of just to piggyback off of what I said before is like, I try to show my students that I can lose and that I don't know everything and that I'm just as mortal in many ways. I'm a white belt as well, right? There's a lot of things that I don't know. I try my best to learn every day and to study and to pass on the information as, as much as I can. And Honestly, a lot of the time I have the guilt that I'm not doing enough. And that really always motivates me to do more and more. And so I always tell my students, you know, when it comes to growth, when it comes to developing your game, a lot of it comes from the ability to to feel short term failures and to accept that failure and to accept losses in the training room to reach new levels. This is something that Danaher recently talked about on the Lex Friedman podcast. It's like a four and a half hour episode. I was just glued to the podcast the whole time. There's so much, so much you can learn from that podcast. One of the main things I learned was how big of a fucking idiot Lex Friedman is. Holy shit. This guy is the worst interviewer I've ever, I've ever heard. But just getting that a lot of knowledge from Danaher was really incredible. I mean, I'm a Danaher fanboy. I really love his content. And I love his teaching style, even though I know a lot of people are critical of it. One thing he talked about was how, you know, he encourages his guys in the training room every day to put themselves into disadvantageous positions, you know, deep into submissions, deep into pins and work your way out. And this is not what I think most people who go to the gym, it's not what they would envision as the most enjoyable training experience. I have students who you know, they love to win in the gym. They love to catch submissions in the gym. There's one student in particular right now I have. He's a young guy. He's very explosive. He's an absolute submission sniper. He can catch people in the gym. He can catch me in the gym. But when it comes to him 
being in competition against black belts, he tries to use the same style and quite often black belt defenses are able to shut him down. And then he's exposed when he, one of the things Dan Hurst says is when you attack with offense, to some degree, you're always going to expose yourself. And that's just the nature of going for submissions and whatnot. And that's his problem. And I've, I've always said, hey, man, you got to work your defense. You're, you can catch submissions on anyone. And as far as the skill of being able to pull the trigger at crucial times, you're one of the best I've ever seen. But until you're able to work your way out of deep situations, you're going to get caught. You're going to either look like a genius or you're going to look like a fool. And so I said, you need to put yourself into bad positions in training. You need to be willing to lose and suffer in the short term in order to grow in the long term. And that's just the nature of jujitsu, right? And I feel like if we all had these attitudes, the, we'd see a crazy increase in the skill and the level of jujitsu. Because as we all know, jujitsu, at least my philosophy, I kind of run with the Danaher philosophy where a strong defensive foundation leads you to have the confidence to employ strong offense. And that's that's my goal. And it's never fun to get submitted in the gym. But if you're able to allow your ego to take that hit in the short term, you know, you're learning and using new material that is not your A game. You're, if you really try and use that stuff, it's always going to have some degree of failure initially before you can use it at a higher level. And to me, I look at that and I just try to embrace it because I'm like, okay, this is a new system. This is something I don't use. This is not my A game. It's going to suck for a while. I'm going to get crushed. I'm going to get passed, possibly get submitted. It's just, it's part of the growth. And if you can sort of appreciate that growth and see it as, as growth rather than failure and growth in the long term, that's where I think the true development comes into place. But it comes from that mindset and it kind of trickles down from the instructor saying, hey, you know what, guys, I'm willing to lose too. That's the the culture that we should have in this gym. And if we have that culture, I think we're going to make great gains. Who gives a shit if you get submitted in the training room? You're just, that's why it's training. Yeah. Yeah. I love that attitude. I mean, I think that what you're talking about, where you're talking about kind of the coach modeling the behavior that they want to see in their students is also a good approach to getting people to use better tooling and use better solutions. I, I know a lot of gym owners who solve this technique problem where they can't get people to record their footage by just straight up mounting their own camera in the gym and just, you know, having it run. A lot of gyms already have this because you might have a security camera in there, right? So just to make sure things are okay when the, the gym is closed. So why not leverage that? And I know that there's a lot of instructors who will normalize this practice by rather than leaving it to students to pull out their camera and record on their own, they'll just have everything recording at all times. And they'll just say, Hey, if you, you know, if you want a copy of the class and, you know, just shoot me a message and then I'll get it to you. And that way it takes that inertia out of the student's hands where they have to, you know, psych themselves up and convince themselves to record. It's already being recorded in that situation, right? You just need to do something with it. So I think that to get students past those, those humps of discomfort the best thing a coach can probably do is model the behavior themselves, right? And uh, yeah, as a coach, you can set the tone and the culture for the room. So if you start doing something, you make it a lot more likely that your students are going to adopt that practice as well. 
And yeah, so there's actually some software that I've become aware of called Rolodex, where they're actually, they integrate with whatever your camera is, and then they use facial recognition software to like allow you to create profiles for each one of your students so that it automatically captures all their roles. I've like become aware of them. I know that there's a couple of gyms using them, uh, but I thought it was a really interesting application of, of kind of this concept that you're that you're describing where coaches can model that behavior. And it gives students the ability to like really watch their roles after the fact and just have it all cataloged for them in one place where they can just easily access it. So I think there's, there's and that's a, like another piece of technology that's kind of evolving within the industry right now that, that's becoming more popular that, man, I would love to see every gym implement something like that. That would be, that would be amazing. I just think that would really kind of enhance the level of jujitsu across the board. Yeah, I just wanted to make an honorable mention to another program. It's actually an app that my buddy's building. It's called Way of BJJ. And it's kind of a cool thing. It's like, uh, I've always wanted to do something like this for myself. Personally, for me, I think my learning style is much more of a, personally, I don't know how much I would use this because I tend to study a lot of instructionals from BJJ Fanatics, but there is an app called Way of BJJ that is essentially like a concept map. A lot of people have come to me and said, hey, I want to build like a jujitsu concept map. I've thought about doing something like that in the past personally, but whenever I try and do it, it just, it leads me down so many rabbit holes that I'm not sure how beneficial it would be for me, but I could see other people wanting to to map out techniques and systems and things like that. Maybe that works for them. So Way of BJJ is an app I think it's at least worth looking into and you can kind of structure your game in almost a concept map like fashion. And there's going to be a, a bunch of different instructors on there that are going to be putting on content. So it's pretty cool. I like the format and the way it's done. And yeah, my buddy was showing it to me on the weekend. He's building it. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty interesting to see how people are thinking outside the box, you know, whether it's way of BJJ or technique or Rolodex or whatever. Now we're having people really putting their brains together to try and get this information to other people in different ways. And so I think it's really important as a practitioner to just see what works for you and what, what helps you make information stick and then just keep on studying because yeah, this game is so much mental training. Something that's everyone neglects, I think is the mental side of the training, the studying, everyone wants to go to the gym and get a sweat and work hard, but not everybody wants to go and, and sit in front of a screen for an hour, you know, or, or study new material and I think that that is that's where a lot of growth comes into play. And I'm no, I'm only really noticing that now because I've been on the shelf for a while with injuries and whatnot. So I feel like when I do come back in a couple of months, I'm going to be even better than when I left just because of how much food I've fed my brain. Awesome. Amazing, guys. Well, before we tie this up, any closing thoughts that you want to drop before we get this, this thing done? Anything, Alex, on your side that you wanted to to bring up that we didn't talk about here? No, I think I think that's everything. Thank you guys so much for for having me on. I uh, I appreciated the conversation, and uh, I hope everyone would visit our website, technique.io, and that's technique spelled T E K N E E K, or follow us on Instagram, technique.io. But thank you guys so much for for having me on. This is a this is an awesome conversation. No worries, man. And as always, I'll put the links in the show notes. So if anyone wants to check out technique, again, I highly recommend it. If you didn't catch that domain, just open up the show notes, click the link. Goes again. Technique is T E K n-e-e-k dot io but probably the simplest thing to do is just boot up the show notes and you'll see it there matt how about you any closing thoughts or things that you wanted to get into which we didn't bring up would now be a cool time to talk about the online stuff yeah let's tell everyone what you've been up to cool so yeah i've been working on something over the last couple of months steve has actually really helped me sort of cue everything up and what it is is an online academy and it's the on guard online Academy. It's going to be, it's basically available for everyone right now. 
And it's similar to BJJ mental models in terms of how things are laid out. But essentially what you'll be able to do is follow along with our lessons. So every lesson that I teach during the evening at my academy, I film and I summarize and I add study links and further resources to it. We follow a monthly module and we, so that means that every month we'll be discussing, you know, a certain topic, whether it be Juju Gatames or leg locks or whatever. And then usually on Fridays, we also do leg locks. So last month we studied a lot of the material from Mikey Musumeki, his straight foot lock system, Kyo locks, all types of ankle locks. And then this upcoming month of November, the module we're going to be actually focusing on alignment as the main module. So it's going to be a lot of different material and just a heavy emphasis of running all the techniques through the alignment principle. And then on Fridays, we're going to be taking deep dives into Craig Jones's false reap system. So it's just tons of great material. I really, I try to study from the best and then bring that to my students. And now you can, you can check that out too. But that's not all that the academy has. There's also going to be different sections. So I did a referees course where you can, you know, if you listen to anything I discuss on this podcast, I'm a big fan of learning the rules and studying the actual game of jujitsu if you want to be the best competitor you can. And I think learning how to referee and teaching your students and even your, your juniors, like your kids, how to referee is such an important aspect of making good competitors and just setting a culture in the gym where people are just obsessive with the rule set, because that ultimately is how you are successful in competition is you need to know the rules. So there's a referees course that you can go and you can take. There's a kids section. So I have a curriculum that the requirements for each belt, there's solo movements, uke drills, theoretical questions that I've developed for my students. There's tons, there's audio lectures, written lectures, all of my seminars I put on there, all of my competition footage is on there, all of my technique footage, not personal technique footage, but stuff that Alex has sent me from, you know, ADCC and stuff. That's all on there. It's something that I'm really been working hard on. Like I said, Steve's been helping me with that. And there's a lot of cool stuff that I'm going to be putting on there next year. I'm going to be putting on instructionals that I'm going to offer. I'm going to put on fundamentals course for everyone and also another thing I want to put on there is a course on gym ownership and entrepreneurship. So it's going to be a lot of great information right now. I think it's priced out at 10 bucks a month. Go take a look over there and see if it's something that you will find valuable. And I'm very excited to see how that goes. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Yeah. And just to clarify and expand on that a little bit, some of the questions that we get about BJJ mental models most frequently are number one, like, can I see some visuals? <laughs> and number two, can I get some pragmatic examples of how this would look in like a real classroom environment? Because the thing about doing audio is we have to talk about big ideas and I love doing that. As everyone knows, there's definitely a place for that at some point, you know, and for some types of people, they just want to see the thing in action. And what Matt's putting together here is very much an example of that, right? So if you want to expand on the concepts that we, we talk about on the show and you want to know what would this look like? with actual video, like to see someone breaking this down and what would a class in a curriculum actually be structured like if you were to use these concepts from the ground up? That's the kind of thing Matt's building there. Like Matt mentioned, I'm working on the tech side there. I'm still kind of dusting it off. So if there's any bugs, please shoot me a message and let me know. But it's live now. You can go there and you can check it out. And Matt, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but the domain is onguardbjj.com, right? That is correct. 
I guess I should know actually if anyone does. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> on guardbjj.com. I just want I was trying to make you liable for it just in case I gave out the wrong domain. But yeah, it's on guardbjj.com. And again, I'll put the link in the show notes too. So just a, a quick one click through if you want to find that and you didn't catch the domain. But yeah, I do definitely recommend checking that out because like I said, it's a kind of same general philosophy, but a totally different implementation. And I think a lot of people will benefit from checking that out. So both that and technique give strong plugs to. And of course, if you want to submit your technique stuff to BJJ Mental Models, best way to do that is through our premium service. You can learn all about that on bjjmentalmodels.com. I think everyone probably knows the details, but in addition to the, the technique rolling reviews we do there, you sign up and you get unlimited reviews from our team. Matt helps out with those a lot. We've also got a bunch of world champs on the review team like uh, Dominica Oblanite, Emily Kwok, help out a lot. And so I definitely recommend checking that out. There's also a lot of much more longer form structured audio courseware style content on there. So definitely do suggest you check that out again, bjjmentalmodels.com. And like with everything else, I'll put that in the show notes. So if you're looking for tech stuff related to jujitsu, there's going to be a lot of stuff for you to check out after this episode. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much guys for coming by. Alex, great to have you on. I wanted to have you on for a long time. And Matt, thanks for coming by too, man. Looking forward to seeing you for Halloween in a few days. Yeah, it's going to be great. Going to trick or treat with those little kids. Guys, if you want to be right in the On Guard Academy classroom with us, just check out the Academy and you're going to get all the lessons. And thanks, Steve, for having me. Thank you, Alex, for developing technique and giving uh, instructors a really intelligent way to pass on information to their students. I think it's going to be very, very valuable in the next uh, the next little bit here for jujitsu. Appreciate it, man. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. And thanks to everyone listening to. Always appreciate it. We'll talk to you folks next week. Take care.